It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party. Today's guest is Britain's most famous local government official, Jackie Weaver. This is such a treat talking to Jackie about, to some extent, her newfound fame, but mainly parish councils, which is an under-explored and under-promoted uh, area of our democratic life here in the UK, even on a show like this. Now, I'm sure I'll have mentioned parish councils in the past, but I've never shone a light on them uh, in this detail. And I'm slightly embarrassed about that. I talk about local government a lot on the show, but never to that level, to that granular level, as uh, as the policy wonks among, among you might say. So today is Parish Council Day. And who better to talk about it? Because I realise even for a deeply politically interested and informed audience like you, Parish councils might be pushing it a bit, but fear not. We have got the best person to talk us through it all, which is Jackie Weave. And we talk about parish councils, why enough people don't stand, um, the profile of people that do, the reality of the work, the important work that it is. It's just great. And, and at its core, actually, is a conversation not about politics, but about people and how you how you effectively get things done. So there's a real pragmatic element at the, at the centre of this, but it's it's wrapped in actually quite a, a sweet reflections on human nature, I guess, without wanting to make it sound too grandiose. And of course, the nuts and bolts of politics and what's happened in Hanford since that um, Zoom meeting, which of course I had to ask her about. Now, before we come on to the brilliant Jackie Weaver, uh, don't forget you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. First things first, thank you so much for all your emails about the Tony Blair event. I've got so many brilliant questions. I could only pick a few, but every question received was great. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for those of you that have left iTunes reviews um, and Acast reviews. Wherever you listen to it, if you can leave a star rating, please do. Um, I mean, why would you give it anything less than five? I never, I never, I mean, if I'm like rating an Uber driver, I'm like... I don't want to ruin the person's life. I'll just give them a five star. So, you know, approach it in the similar way if you if you have a similar mindset. And on iTunes, you can leave a review. Anyway, um, emails. A, a, a thread that has developed on the show has been seeing politicians in unusual places. On the last show, we had a wonderful email from someone who'd seen Neil Kinnock in Tuscany, which is the most new Labour place you could have seen someone outside of the Granita restaurant. This one comes in from Matt. He says, I spent uh, a couple of years back, my wife, daughter and I spent two weeks in an Algarve resort at close quarters to, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this name correctly, Hell Torning Schmidt, who, of course, was the prime minister of Denmark and married to Stephen Kinnock, now a Labour MP. This is another Kinnock sighting abroad. And actually, it's made me realise the first, the, the story that prompted all this was someone's in Carwin Jones. In Iceland, so that it's all Welsh Labour people. Have you seen anyone abroad that isn't a Welsh politician in the Labour Party? This is incredible. Anyway, Matt says, I'd met Stephen once or twice um, for work things, but decided the cool thing to do would be to totally leave them alone. I totally regret that now. Matt, I don't want to rub it in. But of course you should regret it. You should have said, hi, Steve, how's it going? You could have been knocking around with the Prime Minister of Denmark, mate, on your holidays. Imagine they'd have said, oh, when you meet couples on holiday, this how we'll have to meet up. Now, whether you actually get round to it or not is another thing. But if you're doing that with the Prime Minister of Denmark, you could have had a state visit, Matt. Anyway, let's not rub it in. You made the decision at the time based on the information you had. And uh, you have to believe that you you took the right decision then, even if, in retrospect, you would do, do it differently. If Stephen Kinnock or Hell Torning Schmidt are listening. Perhaps I can put you in touch with Matt and some sort of state banquet can be uh, retrospectively arranged. Um, indeed, if you work for any government or are a head of state and it's in your gift to give anyone a state banquet, banquet email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Before I come on to Jackie Weaver, the tickets for the Keir Starmer and Andrea Leadsom night, I think have sold out. I checked them about an hour ago and they're all gone. So that was the 25th of May at the Garrick. 
On the 24th of May, it's side of our seat in Peter Mandelson. There's only a handful of tickets left for that. And there's only a handful of tickets left for Jess Phillips and Esther McVeigh on the 2nd of June. Tickets for these have just flown out. One of them has already sold out. So if you're umming and ahhing, you're better to buy your tickets soon because they're going to go. So go to mapford.com slash live. Now, Jackie Weaver, what a treat this was. If you don't know, Jackie went viral early in the year after um, effectively having to oversee a troublesome um, local parish council. And we talk about what her role is and why that uh, is the way that her life's gone. Is How, how do you end up being a, a council officer, having to be the keeper of the rules and having to effectively referee these things? And what makes someone drawn to local government, but not seeking office. Uh, and that's a really interesting discussion with Jackie. And anyway, she's just a delight to talk to. And this is a lovely non-ideological exploration of what politics is. Delighted to be joined by Jackie Weaver from the Cheshire Association of Local Councils. Jackie, you're the Chief Officer of the Chesh- Cheshire Association of Local Councils. What does the Chief Officer of the... Cheshire Association of Local Councils do? I'm glad I'm not the only one that struggles with lines, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does the Chief Officer of the Cheshire Association of Local Councils do? I've got used to saying it because, of course, when I answer the phone, it's kind of like, you know, it's that sort of sentence that you you use while you give your brain time to catch up with who you're talking to. Um, so, um, there are we, we sometimes call county secretaries, um, chief officers. We have slightly different names in different counties, but there's kind of one of me in every um, one of the old shire counties. And so, it, it, it's not just something that in Cheshire you got together and decided to set up. This is a, an existing um, mechanism that exists across just England or, or Britain. Um, uh, England and Wales. Okay. Um, and you then effectively preside over the business of just parish councils or other sorts of authorities as well? Well, let me just kind of finish the overall picture, which is there's like 47 or 46 of us, um, and then we have an umbrella organisation called the National Association of Local Councils, or NALP. Um, and NALP kind of is the... Um, uh, is based in London and does the kind of policy work and um, lobbying representation at government, that kind of thing. So we are independently funded. We are not affiliated to any party politics, um, nor are we affiliated to any of the principal authorities. And we exist to provide guidance, training, support, information um, to town and parish councils only. So you're there as people who care about local government and want to help them. It's not that you are directly employed by local government itself. No. So NALC uh, is different from the LGA, which is the Local Government Association. Although in many ways there's a similarity. Um, So it is like the LGA of town and parish councils. Okay, so then let's talk about parish councils because it's cropped up on this show before. And I've worked in local government, I've worked for members of parliament, I've worked for a political party. When I worked for MPs, parish councils were, I guess, a kind of curiosity. I, I never fully understood what they did. And it it sounded like people were just on there unelected. Now, that's partly because people are elected unopposed. You can't just choose to go on. You still have to go through some sort of formal process, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, perhaps where people just don't get that they are elected um, because, you know, often they will be um, standing for election every four years, like every other um, elected member. Um, But as you say, if it's not a a contested seat, then you won't really be aware of the election process. And I guess one of the big um, changes in the last two or three months has been All of us that work with local councils um, do the best we can to try and encourage other people to get involved. But nobody is really interested. You know what I mean? You can talk to so many people, but you have nothing like the reach you do when you're somehow able to um, tap into the media. And and that suddenly takes something that has been there forever, um, working away quietly in the background, unnoticed even by our MPs and then suddenly people are talking about town and parish councils and so they should. (laughs) 
So in the last few weeks on this show, I've had Andy Street on, who's the Metro Mayor for the West Midlands, and that's a specific type of mayor that effectively chairs an authority made up of the other elected leaders of that area. We've spoken to the elected mayor of Bristol, who's directly elected, that's, and that's different to, to a Metro Mayor. Obviously, old-school um, ceremonial mayors are a completely different thing anyway, chosen from within a council chamber. So then... Parish councils, and sometimes people get confused between unitary authorities, county councils, and, and what and what the specific remit of those bodies are. What do parish councils, you know, what, what statutory instruments do they have? What can and can't they do? Well, I guess um, whereas you know, further up the, the chain, the system becomes quite complicated, as, as we just alluded to, Matt. Um, what we can be really sure of is that town and parish councils are town and parish councils wherever you live. And even in London, we are getting parts of London parished as well. Um, so th there's a kind of, um, there's an easy story to tell there because wherever you are, it doesn't matter what else is going on, your town and parish councils will be exactly the same. What are they responsible for? Um, well, parish councils have very few duties. Very few things that they have a, a legal obligation to do. And most of those things are internal. You know, things like um, appointing a financial officer, keeping proper accounts, holding a meeting four times a year. So all kind of, you know, internal looking stuff. But what they do have are wide ranging powers, things they can do. So it, it's, there are so many, it's difficult to choose which ones. So the provision of allotments. Um, maintenance and provision of community buildings, um, management of um, junior highways and footpaths, um, provision of um, support for education and the arts. Um, again, it's difficult to choose which ones to tell people about because I think that their powers are so wide ranging. Then we had um, the Localism Act, which introduced the general power of competence and that gave parish councils the power to do anything that an individual could do. So now we're looking at literally your parish council being able to do anything. But would that include set up a school? Uh, setting up a school, yes. Um, but of course, what they can't do is um, take over the statutory function um, that exists. So, so like an individual could set up a school, but they couldn't be responsible for education in that community. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So then they have a lot more powers than perhaps people might expect. They do. They do. And yet it seems that recruitment to parish councils is quite hard. Why do you think that is? I think we're back to the your fault. You just haven't told enough people about <laughs> me personally, or given us the opportunity. You know, it's conversations like this, though, that you know. I mean, I I've been involved with local councils for twenty five years, and you know, at best, I might have had the Crew Chronicle asking me a question about them. You know. I certainly haven't had the Telegraph or the Independent or the Guardian or the BBC or ITV. Yeah. And it makes a huge difference. So in a way, that the the, the infamous Zoom meeting of Hanford Parish Council actually has helped shine a light on, on Parish. Perhaps not in the most helpful way, but you as an individual, being everywhere you, you've been able to go as a result of that um, video, have been able to tell the story of parish councils in a way it's been a hugely positive thing. Absolutely. I, I mean, when um, somebody you know told me that I was, I, I can remember it, you know, you're trending number three in the country, <laughs> meant absolutely nothing to me. I mean, it was like somebody had just said, blue socks grow, grow with garden tools. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. I don't know what words you're using. Um, so it meant nothing to me at all. Um, so when we had the reporters knock on the door the following day, um, I said to my husband, it'll last the day, then it'll last the weekend, then well, it might last the week. And my attitude has been, it will be fleeting. So, you know, take every opportunity you can, because this isn't coming round again. Um, because it's such an opportunity, literally, to get that message out to the groups that we've been trying to reach, you know, what people call hard-to-reach groups, including young people. 
um, that, you know, it's just been such an opportunity. And do you think, is there any data yet that you've seen to suggest that since all this, there's been an increase in people searching for parish council elections or even putting themselves forward as candidates? Yeah. I was talking to a colleague this morning. People always say that when you're interviewing them, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> talking to a colleague. I can show you, yeah. Um, talking to a colleague this morning from um, Cheshire East Council, um, and they were saying that they have not seen as much interest shown in local council elections ever. Well, that's great. That's such a big deal. You must be so proud of that. Well, I, I don't know that I'm proud of it. I'm just really pleased about it. Um, because, you know, as we've just been discussing that, I, I don't think that parish councils are the solution to all the world's problems, but I think they are the solution to a hell of a lot of problems. Um, you know, given that most of us, and I think most of us, feel most strongly about things within our local communities. You know, I think we'd like to change the world. I think we'd like to sort out overpopulation, wars, whatever. But kind of know that probably anything I do isn't really going to affect that. So and that kind of puts us off getting involved with stuff. Like if I can't fix everything, why should I bother with anything? But parish councils give you the opportunity to see a, a material change in your own community in, in terms of the built environment, in terms of the landscape, in terms of provision for young people, old people, whatever. And you can do it in a time frame that means you actually live long enough to see it. You know, it, it's, it's more immediate. You will see a change. And I guess, you know, I think you said, you know, was a concern that maybe handful showed parish councils maybe not such a good light. Well, yeah, of course it did. But the stuff that's come from it, and I think particularly, you know, when we can talk about the kind of things that we've been doing as a sector to try to improve that, because the odd bad apple really does make a big difference, um, then I, I think people have, people have still come along with us. And we should make it clear, that sort of behaviour that we saw in that Zoom call isn't exclusive to parish councils. I mean, yeah. it took me back to so many Labour meetings I'd been in, local government meetings... That behaviour in certain parts of the country is sadly quite typical, and it's not exclusive just to that rung of local government. Um, but I wonder just in terms of how we organise our democracy in this country and how many times we ask people to vote and, and vote for, you know, and how we explain what these different offices are. We've got a West... You know, if you live in Scotland or Wales, you've got a Westminster government to elect, Holyrood in the Senate, you've got local councils... How do, you know you're constantly trying to say to people, oh, there's another rung of our constitution that you might not have heard of, and people might just say, well, can't you just simplify this for me? And and why doesn't that my local council just do everything that that the parish council does? So I guess the question is, do parish councils need to exist? Could those powers not just be executed by the next rung up by by the, the local authority? Um, I think when you look at no is the short answer. <laughs> Humanly, you're not going to let me get away with just no. <laughs> Some detail would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that um, unfortunately, the bigger you get um, in terms of a, a local authority, then I think your priorities change, and I understand why they why they change. I mean, for example. Um, I don't live in Shropshire now, but um, I work in Cheshire, of course, and Cheshire is considered to be a, a reasonably affluent area, um, but it has its pockets of, of deprivation. And so, of course, when the uh, principal authorities are, are considering um, service provision, etc., um, they will often prioritise the areas of deprivation. Now, I get that, um, and, you know, that, that's something that um, I think we probably would support in, in the society that we live in. However, when you have a town or parish council, they have only one responsibility, and that is to that local community. So every penny that is um, gathered in the form of tax, because parish and town councils are tax-raising bonds, can only be spent in that area. Um, and so for me, I think there's a certain um, equity in a local community funding what a local community has identified as its needs. 
Now, we're not talking about healthcare, we're not talking about formal education, um, adult social care, etc. Um, but we are talking about whether or not you want um, a village hall or whether you, um, you want um, a play area for your children um, or more youth provision for the younger people in the village. And I think it's perfectly reasonable that you pay for that if you alone are going to benefit from it. That, that seems to be a fair way. Before we come on to the sorts of people that go into that level of politics, you said something earlier that um, you're, even parts of London are getting parished. I mean, in London, it doesn't feel like parish councils feature at all in the conversation. Is there a different model there? No. No, exactly the same. They may call themselves something different. They may call themselves community council, for example. Um, but if you have a look on the, the NALC website, nalc.gov.uk, um, then you can see what um, what London parishes have been created. But they've been working on that for, oh, more than five years. So a number of them have now been created already. And how political are parish councils? Do you still have, in the same way that you would have in big cities, a, 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 a you know party in charge and opposition, Labour Conservative, or is it a bit more independent? It's quite interesting um, because um, at party politics, which I, I guess is your question, um, very little um, is, is is done in terms of party politics at parish council level. Not nothing, but very little. Um, however, there's an awful lot of politics. In yeah. town. <laughs> um, it just doesn't happen to be um, coloured in that way. Um, and I suppose that even when we have um, politics in town of parish councils, the kind of things that we were talking about, allotments, etc., again, hugely important to the local area, but probably not the kind of thing that you would split along a party line on. Yes, it's not as if they're going to talk about whether to nationalise or privatise things. This is about provision and who gets what. Yes. Yes. So it's a different type of politics. And, and just with Hanforth Parish Council... And obviously, it was, I say it brought memories flooding back for me. I don't want to give the wrong impression. Not every meeting I ever sat in was like that. <laughs> How typical is it of your experience of working with this level of local government? It's not typical at all. But, but when it does happen, it is very, very disruptive. It, it really is. It, it, it almost, para- well, as you saw with Hanforth, it paralyses a council. Um, because instead of being outward-looking... Um, you know, what, what do you as a community want? How can we help deliver out there? It becomes very internalised and everything becomes a kind of battle of words and nothing really gets decided for the community. Um, and I say it can sometimes just be a single councillor. Um, and because of the, um, the fact that we, we still, despite lobbying for over 10 years, we still have no sanctions available under the Code of Conduct that even when someone has been found um, guilty from the better word, um, of having breached the code of conduct, so their standards have fallen below that which you would expect of a councillor, nothing happens. I mean, even, a, even for local councils, I was shocked. I remember councillors being found guilty of actual breaches of the law in court, and because they didn't miss two full council meetings, they couldn't be removed. Yeah. It's just incredible, the laws that people don't realise out there. There's so many councillors in, in big authorities that can be found guilty of all sorts of things and not be effectively defrocked. I mean, it, it feels as if, I don't know whether this is a frustration that you share, but when local politics breaks down in the way that it did in, in Hanforth and you see it like that, and, and that gets so tense, and that is a claustrophobic environment. These people all live in quite a small, you know, they're all quite close to each other geographically. <laughs> Yeah. They're all working together. They need the help then of effectively a higher power, and that's what you were. But one of the frustrations I had when I worked for Labour was <laughs> there's just bigger th- people have bigger fish to fry. And I guess it's the point you made about other authorities is this stuff is just allowed to fester sometimes because people higher up the chain are looking to other uh, other things, they have other pressures on them. And this stuff basically can go unchecked for years and it, it and it can really have profound effects on, on people, you know, in a way, I guess you, I imagine you're quite philosophical about it, but you were spoken to in a way that was completely unacceptable. And that, that was, 
that can ruin people's lives. And, and I suppose what I mean, I I kind of lived, um, although I haven't realised it. I mean, probably for the last kind of twenty twenty years of my life, I've certainly lived a fairly charmed life. Um, you know, most of the people that I come across are very pleasant. Um, I, I live in a nice rural area, have a nice house, nice car, blah blah blah. You know, and most people treat me with a reasonable amount of respect and kindness often. So. I think what I think the, the the level of hostility that man surprised me. I, I I really have never come across such an angry man. Um, and following that, I, I was dismayed by the number of um, communications that I had from people saying that this sort of stuff goes on behind closed doors, not just parish and town councils, all sorts of people who had no particular you know, knowledge or interest of local councils were talking about, yeah, this is what we experienced. And I kind of really shocked by that because I guess I kind of felt the world had moved on from there. I thought this was something that, you know, as, as a young woman, you know, kind of 18, 20, possibly even 30, um, you know, it was the kind of thing that we might have been resisting back then, but I, I thought young people had fixed it all. But it turns out they haven't. <laughs> or <laughs> perhaps, perhaps they haven't got around to Hanford yet. So what's what's happened since Hanford? Has that situation been resolved? Um, well, partly resolved in that... Well, yeah. Partly resolved in that the um, two of the three just are simply not turning up to council meetings these days. Um, and then um, we've also had Councillor Tolver stand down as chairman. Um, so in effect, that will that will make um, a change. Um, and then finally, in May, um, there will be a new councillor join them. Um, so that will make a completely different four-three um, power um, table. So that should have a, um, a fairly strong effect, one way or the other. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter which way it is. Um, it will define um, how the council moves forward. So in the aftermath of that, did any of the people on that call get in touch with you? Did it, did it help in any way? No. I, I mean, I, I've certainly been in touch with the, um, the clerk and the, the three quiet um, members of the council. Um, because our role has been to support the council to get it back to functioning properly, so we were managed to be able to support the clerk, the council through the process of getting the clerk reinstated. Um, so now they are a, a, a kind of functioning team again. Um, and at that point, we step back. I mean, it's not for us to be meddling in in every council's um, council's affairs. It was quite funny, really, because. Um, following the um, the meeting going viral, a lot of people turned up on a, a screen just as Jackie Weaver, and I had a number of my councils saying to me, oh, "Yeah, we saw you at our meeting last night." And I was thinking, "Well, <laughs> do you not realise I'm a bit like a vampire? I can't cross the threshold. You have to invite me in." <laughs> And I don't kind of, you know, just sort of think, oh, I wonder what such and such council meeting's doing tonight. I'll pop in and check up on them. It, it's not what we do. I mean, we're here <laughs> to support them, not to police them. Um, so, uh, yes, that did work. You're obviously passionate about local democracy, about people standing, about local government being run properly. Um, so why did you go down the officer route and, and not stand for office yourself? It's a good question, Matt. Um, I always remember asking a, a colleague for which I had um, a great deal of respect in the county council, um, now long gone in, um, in Cheshire, um, who had the most power. Was it the members or was it the officers? Um, and I should have realised at the time, could have obviously given me a very um, diplomatic response. His response was, um, if you have strong councillors, councillors, if you have weak councillors, officers. Um, so I, I kind of um, I kind of take that away and, and, and maybe feel that the role of an officer is, is kind of like the magician's assistant, kind of in the background, um, but, um, you know, supporting rather than being the one out the front. Um, and I, I was a councillor for about three years, um, very early on in, in my career. And, and I... 
I didn't like it. Why not? I, I think, I know this might sound silly, I think it was too detailed. I, I guess it, it kind of felt that you were dealing with, with, with more individual um, issues um, rather than stepping back and saying, how can I fix the bigger picture? Um, so in that sense, I felt I could do more good trying to fix the bigger picture than making it right for for some individuals. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. That, that's the thing elected members get dragged into his casework and, and all that sort of thing. And I guess if you're trying to help the machine run smoothly, that's a different... I guess it's almost like the mechanic and the driver, isn't it? Are you the mechanic? Is the member the driver? I'm not, I haven't thought this analogy through, but effectively... You keep the engine running. You keep the whole machine running smoothly, and then they get to drive it around town and take credit yeah. for it. And you need a good driver, obviously. Yeah. But you also need the mechanics and all that to be to be working properly. And, and that's the bit I enjoy. It's, it's the problem solving. It, it's the um, it's make it's making it look easy. That that's that's what I like. And uh, should people infer from this that you're less ideological than than a councillor, or or not? Ooh, am I less ideological than a councillor? I am pragmatic, um, and, and I know that party politics wouldn't be for me. I think that um, to have a kind of um, vision, but it's not my vision, it's somebody else's, that has to be overlaid over everything I'm doing, I, I don't think I'd be good with that. So were you an independent councillor? Uh, no, uh, parish councillor, so um, no party. Right. So then I guess that uh, that kind of confirms your... Um, I think that sort of proves you right, doesn't it? That actually you're far more suited to the to keeping the machine running than being out there, you know, c- campaigning for socialism or capitalism or, you know, whatever else. You know, that's, that's not what drew you in. No, and also... Um, I guess the idea of knocking on someone's door and saying, vote for me, doesn't feel right. You know, vote vote for the ideas, vote for the um, the policy, vote for that vision of the future, yes, but vote for me, no. Why? Because in a way, if you, Jackie Weaver, have put yourself at the service of, of local government because you think, presumably, you have a level of competence that can be put to public use... I thought that's the bit you would kind of, um, not that you would find it easy to knock on someone's door and say to vote for them, but I guess understanding that you can do, you bring a particular particular set of skills is something I thought you might more identify with. No. <laughs> and it's funny, you can just call me Jackie, you know. <laughs> I know, but it's, you're known as Jackie Weaver, you know. <laughs> 
I, I, although in many, I, I think I, I said a little while ago that I'm a pragmatist. Um, Ninety percent of me is pragmatic. The other ten percent is very idealistic, and I want the world to be fair. Okay, I, I, I don't mind if it goes against me, but it has to be fair. Yes, you know, it's somewhere in this 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 kind of mind, you know. And, and then I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that you know whoever said it was supposed to be fair, well, me apparently. Um, and I live, um, I have always lived my life in a very uh, small village. I just live in a different village we moved to five years ago. Um, and um, I've got three small children. Um, I was looking for something else to do apart from three small children. Um, and the a vacancy came up in the parish council for a clerk. Um, and I thought, well, I have all the necessary skills for this. I'll, get, I'll go along. And I didn't get the job. Now, it wasn't the fact that I didn't get the job. That's okay. He gave the job to the chairman's wife. Mm. And that didn't seem fair. <laughs> so I then, um, when they had a, 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 when it next came round to elections, um, I stood as a candidate um, and it wiped the floor with everybody else on account of I don't think anybody had ever canvassed in the parish ever. Um, and, uh, and got a seat and stayed there for about three years. But that was what it was. I can still remember the feeling now. It, it was very much that sense of injustice. It's not fair. Um, and if the job had been given to anybody, you know, anybody that I felt, you know, had just got a qualification to do it or something, I would never have given it another thought. Um, but it was the fact it was the chairman's wife who had no no particular ability to do the job. That's that was what started me on this path. This crusade for justice. I mean, it's the sort of thing. The way you talk about it feels less political and more like the sort of things people say when they go into the judiciary or into the police or become a referee. You know, this right. is. Okay. Kind of, have you ever been a ref? Is that the, is that, <laughs> could that have been a career path? <laughs> There are. Well, I think you've just described earlier, Matt. There are certainly some re uh, some meetings where you feel like potentially you could be a referee. Um, no, no, I've never been a referee. <laughs> so, what makes then a, a good as someone who's used to seeing local government for all its strengths and weaknesses, and someone who's passionate about getting more people to stand for parish councils? Well, actually, let's firstly just deal with some of the issues. We mentioned it earlier, not enough people stand. So many people are elected unopposed. And that's partly because the public don't even know these councils exist. So it's poor information. On, you know, the system doesn't promote itself. I've been amazed that we haven't had a bigger conversation about postal voting, particularly this year. It just seems like democracy in general is something we don't nurture well enough in this country. We'd sort of take it for granted. So that's one issue. But also, I guess the other thing is the types of people that do put themselves forward. Is there a profile of the average parish councillor? And would it be unfair to say they probably are older and whiter than perhaps other office holders? Th that is definitely the assumption. Um, and I think that that is definitely true of, um, you know, I mean, I had this conversation, not this morning, some other time, um, about um, how, you know, just, just, you know, some councils in terms of representation, just leave them alone. They may well be full of much older men and women and whites, but they are absolutely representative of their community. Leave them alone. No, it, it's, for me, it's not about tokenism. It's back to that fairness thing. Um, it's not about tokenism. It, it's about being representative of your community. And if that is your community, then let's, you know, back off. Um, but undoubtedly, um, there are councils where they are not representative of their communities. And yet, as soon as you say that, you will see popping up all the time exceptions to that. You know, so, um, you know, the youngest mayor in the country, 19 years old. Um, you know, we've got all sorts of things like that, you know, and they, they sound like one-offs until you realise how many one-offs there are. And then you think, well, actually... I wonder if the perception is right. I think there is more to be done. There's, there's no question about it. 
But I think, you know, it, it's never going to be parish councils going out and saying, Matt, you look quite young. Why don't we have you join the parish council? You know? yeah. um, because it, it's kind of like, I don't think we even know how to go out and approach people to do it. You know, because ultimately it, it's not, it, what you're selling to somebody is quite a difficult thing. I mean, you know, I'm going to say to you, Matt, I want you to be a parish councillor. I want you to give up your free time. I want you to take occasional abuse from members of the public who don't agree with the last decision you took. Well, I'm used to that. I get that anyway. <laughs> you know, and yeah, no, no, we're not going to pay you anything for it. In fact, probably cost you money to do it. Um, would you like to join us? So I, I think we struggle with the, um, you know, with, with kind of getting that, that message across. It's a hard sell, actually. You, you're relying on people being self-motivated and coming to you. I'm relying on people being more like me. Hand <laughs> forth, and they think that's not right. Don't get involved and get it changed. And... You've been involved for a while. In, in the time that you've been involved in local government, have you seen anything about parish councils change? Uh, uh, do you notice? If, uh, uh, interpret that however you like. Are candidates getting younger? Are there more female candidates now? And are there other changes I might not have thought to ask about? Yeah. Definitely more women. Um, the statistics bear that out quite comfortably. But again, the, the, the demographic is still older. Um, but it's changing. And as I say, I don't think there's been a, um, a census in that sense um, for a little while. So maybe it's about time we did another one to test whether or not we're with as much drift as we, we think there is. Uh, parish councils themselves? Yes. I, I mean, let's look at my organisation. Cheshire Association of Local Councils 25 years ago employed less than one member of staff on a budget of about four and a half thousand a year. It gave you an idea of how much we got paid. Um, and now we have three members of staff and a budget of about 140,000. Um, now that isn't because we're just, you know, kind of like employing people and hold the odd meeting and stuff like that. It's because we've grown in order to uh, service the needs of our, our, our town and parish councils, because they're ultimately the ones that pay for it. Um, and we've seen parish councils go from being kind of being possible um, and commenting on planning applications, they do still like planning applications, though, um, to, you know, delivering on, on so many different things. I mean, over the last five years, We've seen the amount of government grants to the principal authorities drop dramatically, year on year. Um, I think it's now currently non-existent. And every year that's gone by has meant the principal authority itself has contracted. I mean, physically contracted in that it's got fewer members of staff and actually fewer buildings and everything else, but also contracted in what they, they actually deliver. Now, they still have... Um, the obligation to, the duty um, to deliver things like adult social care, education, and um, major roads. But outside of that, everything else is, is kind of, I think they call it the nice bits. You know, the bits that, you know, the community want, you know, like, for example, um, maintenance of verges in parishes, like, for example, um, drainage of ponds and ditches. Like public toilets, as you get older, these things become even more important. <laughs> um, toilets, principal authorities. No, nope, we haven't got enough money to keep them open. Um, if you want them open in your parish, you'll have to pay for it. So, time and time again, we're seeing things that are, have the potential to be withdrawn from communities. Toilets, and the parish councils themselves are stepping up and delivering them. Because they, so, they won't be there. So then let's say the parish council wants to keep some public toilets open. How much does that cost on average? Um, I think you're probably looking at something like 7000 a year. And where would the parish council get that money from? Local people. Just do fundraising, like a, like a, 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 a just giving page? Could do, but more likely just through taxation. 
I mean, for, for there to be a toilet um, in the parish, you're looking at a fairly large parish, and maybe it's got responsibility for a park or something like that. You can see, you know, and, and you're looking at, well, you know, do we want to encourage people to use the park? It's a facility for, you know, bringing the family here, you know, local people. What do you think? Do you want a toilet there or do you not want a toilet there? And I think most people will say, you know, given that either at one end of the spectrum you've got your granny and granddad who will need them, and at the other end you've probably got children who will need them. And somehow in between the two, I don't know what we do. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're likely to have people say, yeah, of course we need them. And when you're you're looking um, at the, the actual contribution per person, to maintain something like that, you're probably looking at expecting something like 50p each. No pun intended. <laughs> but then obviously, as with any spending decision, if you want to keep the public toilets open, that means you've got to close something else or stop doing something else? Not necessarily. I mean, again, in places like Cheshire, and I'm sure it's the same you know, throughout the country, um, what we've seen is an awful lot more building. Um, so that means that, you know, more people, and that means more people to tax. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean just a, you know, a straight line, you have to pay twice as much as you did last year. Um, but we are seeing um, that, that certainly at parish council level, the amount of money being raised through taxation is increasing. So on the 6th of May, people can elect their parish councillors. Yep. To, and is that... Across the whole country, or is this because some local elections are? I mean, why not try and explain this to people? Local authorities that elect in thirds blows my mind. I just really don't understand. <laughs> I guess the logic is you get people voting every year, and somehow that is a good thing. Um, but let's just focus on parish councils then. So uh, only some of them are up this year. Yeah. Um, in Cheshire, Warrington, as a borough council, it has parish council elections this year but Cheshire East and Cheshire West don't. But even then, there are some casual vacancies, so that's where, um, you know, a seat's been um, lost, maybe somebody has moved away, maybe somebody has passed away, on account of them being quite old. Um, we have a casual vacancy, and we've not been able to fill them during the year because of, you know, coronavirus, you heard of that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm aware of that. <laughs> You've got your finger on the pulse, haven't you? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we haven't been able to have fill those casual vacancies and they will get filled in May as well. Oh, and we've got Police and Crown Commissioner elections as well. When, when, when authorities elect in thirds, is the logic that, oh, that means you're voting every year and that's a great thing? Or is there another reason for it? I always thought it was bonkers. But am I wrong? I I don't know. Um, as yet, I have not been deemed to be the expert on all levels of <laughs> local government. <laughs> I'm not really getting there. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I've always assumed it was so that at least you had some grown-ups um, on the council who knew what the council did before the new ones come in. Okay, so it was about... I mean, bearing in mind your principal authorities are dealing with millions of pounds and they are dealing with things that are hugely important, like adult social care and schools and stuff. So the last thing you want is like 57 new councillors that come in and say, Matt, just explain to me, um, what's, what's the, what adults are we looking after? <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. It's a way of just making sure that at least some people serve a certain amount of time and can just pass on a bit of knowledge. That, that's how I've always taken it. Okay. Oh, that, that's, that's a better... Yeah, that makes more sense now. Before, I just thought, this is... Just have them every four years and let people vote a Labour council or a Tory council. And it always felt a bit odd that the fate of the council kind of could, depending on the authority, hang in the balance quite regularly. I, I think what's terrifying, and I don't think that's too too strong a word, but since there's only the two of us, then that'd be okay, um, is the idea that we, we vote for um, a councillor because they're a good egg um, and um, because they, you know, they've, they've done lots of things in our community that we really like. Um, and 
then they find themselves um, as the head of finance in the borough council. Yeah. But what prepared you for looking after 175 million pounds? What? Yeah. Any other major brief? And sometimes these people are elected on really low turnouts, a couple of hundred votes. They can end up leading the council. I mean, that's why I always supported elected mayors. I know a lot of people in local government still aren't keen on them. I mean, the Labour Party was officially opposed to them at the time. Um, do you think they're a good innovation in local government? Um, again, I suppose part of the problem for me is personality. I don't mean that I haven't got <laughs> I think we're voting for somebody on personality rather than ability. So that, you know, for an elected mayor, um, I wonder if, first of all, we vote for their colour or the colour they stand under. The party name, yeah. Party name. You know, are we really voting on the basis of, I think that's a really intelligent, fair person who's going to be able to make decisions? But is that is that any different to how people elect their local councillor? I mean, on the whole, that's a party ticket that gets yeah, them in. More of them, that we're in with more of a chance there. What about the accountability argument that that you know, if you if you've got local areas, everyone gets to choose the leader, that improves. I mean, certainly in areas that have elected mayors, they seem to know who the individual running the place is better than they do areas in the old council leader model. So. That's a crucial part of accountability. That seems to be at least one benefit. Uh. See, I guess that I wonder how much control they actually have. Um, it, it's a bit like the police and crime commissioners. I, I read the book. I still don't understand the plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with both, there are certain things that they that definitely fall within the brief that they're in charge of. But there's a lot of freedom to kind of make that job what they want it to be. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? When I see what they've decided, I'll let you know. <laughs> but it's interesting getting an officer's view of this because taking you back to the question you asked however many years ago, who has more power, how does that apply in a elected mayoral system because who has more power there the mayor or the officers i find it difficult to imagine that an, an elected mayor has as much power as we think they do because ultimately unless they i mean isn't it a bit like being prime minister because unless you can bring everybody else along with you you're just going to be frustrated at everything you try and introduce so we're back to the old challenge with politics, which is about it's always compromise. I talk about Stoke periodically on this show, and obviously it's not far from where you are, Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah. <laughs> I, worked, I worked for the elected mayor there, who um, I think Stoke was the first city to have a referendum to adopt the mayoral model and then another referendum to abolish it a few years later. And the, the executive model they chose was mayor and council manager. So that was the elected mayor and the chief exec were the executive. And that gave an unelected uh, council officer, albeit the chief exec, a huge amount of power. Um, and yet it was the, the elected mayor that people were sort of more offended by. But I think that's because the public, if they're not sure what councillors do, they're absolutely unaware of what council officers do. I mean, would, would you feel comfortable being the chief exec and, and effectively being in a two-person cabinet with an elected member. Maybe you would. No, because no, we'd need a referee. I don't mean we'd fight all the time, but, I mean, how are you going to decide on something where one says yes and one says no? It seemed very odd that that was even ever an option. But I think when they were trying out these new elected mayors, they, to try and appease, obviously, councillors hated the idea. Yes. <laughs> Labour or Tory, Lib Dem, whatever. Councillors as a body were just against it on the whole. What were councillors for at that point? Well, that's right. It was a kind of existential threat yeah, to their political careers. Because really all you need is the elected mayor and the officer team. And in a way you remove 
you know, what little ambition the odd councillor might have, you know, it's not unreasonable that councillors from time to time might think, well, actually, in a few years' time, I may end up in the Cabinet or leading this council. Once you bring an elected mayor, I mean, that is absolutely, unless you stand to be the, your party's candidate for the mayor, that is absolutely then impossible. I love your vision that people sit there dreaming about being the leader of... <laughs> well, some people do. In a few years, I'll be able to be... Um... The leader of um, of Mr. Oh, some of them do. You must have met the odd. Um, well, I'm sure you met plenty of odd councillors, <laughs> but the odd ambitious one. Interesting. <laughs> Jackie, this has been such a treat. Uh, it would be great to talk to you again. Um, is there anything about parish councils I should have asked that I haven't? Is there anything else, any other area of them that perhaps I've missed out? It's the first time we've dealt with parish councils on this show, so I don't want to miss anything. About the relation that you just said there about the chief exec and the chairman, uh, uh, the mayor. What about the um, the chief, uh, the clerk and the chairman and council? Okay, I shall now ask that question as if I thought of it myself. What, what's the relationship like between the clerk and the chairperson of the council? Well, it, it, it's it's interesting. I, in many ways, it's it's the relationship which makes or breaks the council. Um, so that um, I mean, in the case of Handfall, for example, we saw that the chairman unilaterally suspended the clerk, um, and really the council hasn't come forward again until that issue issue was resolved. And it, it's um, again, it's part of the. Um, the only person that's paid um, in a local authority, town or parish council, is the clerk. And that's the person who's supposed to, you know, like me, know all the rules and regulations and kind of smooth the path for councillors to, to come in. Because you remember I said before about how you know, we don't pay councillors, we're expecting them to do this um, you know, in a voluntary capacity. So we have to provide them with some proper support, and that support is, is, is the clerk. But of course, there's a lot of legislation to get to uh, to terms with. It's constantly changing. I mean, every other email at the moment I'm fielding is around: Can we still hold virtual meetings? What do we do if we can't hold virtual meetings, etc. Um, so yeah, it's a hugely important relationship. And again, it's one of those where there's the potential for real conflict. Um, sometimes you'll, you'll have a council meeting where you clearly have the chairman in charge and others you clearly have the clerk in charge and actually the best relationship is when it's a partnership and mistrust can so easily fester in those relationships I mean the only experience I have of this is, is from things I've seen myself but when I worked for the Labour Party and I would go to Labour Party meetings <laughs> I was shocked at how many Labour Party members mistrusted me Purely because I worked for the party, they go, oh, here he is from regional office, issuing his diktats. I was like, no, I'm, I'm here because I'm the same as you. I, I, I want the Labour Party to do well. And it was just that mistrust of anyone who had like an official thing. And, and they presume that you're plugged into some bigger agenda. And you shouldn't necessarily always dissuade them of that, um, <laughs> of that uh, misconception. That can be quite handy to kind of uh, carry the illusion that perhaps you're, you're more uh, powerful than you are. But, but often I imagine that happens, is that people will say to the clerks, well, you're the only person paid to be here. We don't get paid. You know, and that, that resentment can build. So you believe in ruling by fear? Oh, not always. <laughs> not at all, no. But I remember an old boss of mine saying... Those members will think you've got a hotline to number 10. And even though you might not, don't tell them that you haven't. <laughs> you know, that can be quite handy. <laughs> I should remember that. I'll yeah. Hi to the next interview. We have a hotline <laughs> to number 10. <laughs> but you see what I mean? I, I wonder if that plays out sometimes, that people, that the, the clerk's position can be tricky because people might say, well... We're kind of all doing the same thing here, but you're getting paid and we're not. No, I, I think there is the potential for, for tension over that. Um, but, you know, it, um, it really is something that's essential. Of course, part of what we do is try to lighten the load on the clerk so that rather than them all having, I mean, like we've got 243 councils, probably about 200 clerks because they've been clerked to one or more small councils. 
Um, and we kind of do a digest, if you like, of all the legislative stuff they need to know um, and kind of push that out in a more accessible form. So we're not all reading all the same notes and trying to make sense of all those, those notes. So, uh, yeah, hence why we are bigger than we were 25 years ago. And so much of it, really, managing that relationship between chair and clerk is people skills. Yes. Is on both sides, really, is, and, and isn't that really then the essence of politics, is bringing people with you, avoiding conflict. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's what politics really is about. All the ideology stuff fades away when you're sat in a room trying to get to an agreement. Although, of course, at national level, you would be forgiven for thinking that the purpose of it is just simply to win. Um, never mind, you know, uh, reach consensus. Um, so I don't know that we always give the best possible uh, examples when we're looking at uh, national government. But we do training for councillors, for clerks and for chairmen. Because, again, you know, one of the things that's... That, makes for a better meeting is when someone actually knows how to facilitate a meeting. And the clerks, the pressure on clerks must be huge because people are going, oh, can we do this? And you go, well, hang on, I'll just check the, um, you know, whatever they are, the standing orders, you know, I'm going to try and read them and understand them or whatever it is, you know, or whatever the rules are. You could get asked a question on all sorts of things and you're expected to have chapter and verse on this stuff. It must be very hard for a clerk to say, I'll have to check that and get back to you. I guess that's the kind of standard clerk's answer, is it? Um, I, I think I think our clerks are probably more competent than that. Oh, I'm sure they are, but I guess when they're new, you know. Yeah, but when they're new, one piece of advice I always give to them is you don't have to know everything. You just need to know what you need to know for tonight's meeting. That is and a really good... That's a great... That's a great tip for life. Yeah, but we have an agenda in front of us. We know what we're going to cover. You can't cover anything that's not on the agenda. That's what you need to know. That's a great way of just compartmentalising and prioritising what you work on. And then <laughs> and then you can rule out the other stuff anyway. So it's not on the agenda. I can't talk about that. Well, this has ended up being a kind of how to be a clerk. This has been like a kind of life hack for, for local government. <laughs> Jackie, this has been such a pleasure. Um, you are a national treasure. And I, I hope you're enjoying your newfound status. I said to my husband, when this is all over, remind me, I did enjoy it. <laughs> but th I'll tell you what's been surreal for you, I imagine, is you've not really been able to go out much. You know, had this happened in non-COVID times, people would be just, you wouldn't be able to get down the street. You were the most famous person in the country for about a month. What would you mean for about a month? Okay, longer than that. <laughs> you still are. Yeah, but isn't it more like that kind of um, perfect storm? Because if it hadn't been COVID, then we wouldn't have all been looking for something to, you know, like on YouTube or whatever. And more than that, I wouldn't have been able to cover a fraction of the things I've been able to cover over the last three months. <laughs> you must have had so many offers for things. Have you been offered, like, the jungle or dancing on ice or anything like that? Um, what was what's the uh, um, circle? I hadn't even heard heard of. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going to do it. Not time to do it. Oh, but well, look, Jackie, as you would say, you only have to worry about what's on tonight's agenda. So just you know, do the yeah. circle that night and worry about local government the following night. Yeah, except it's a month. Oh, it'll fly by. You could get some sort of leave for that. To put, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crucial to your work. You'd be helping promote parish councils live on Channel 4. No, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out for Ben to invite me on to Tipping Point. OK, so Tipping Point. Surely, surely we yeah. can get you on. To, have you tweeted him? No. Well, this show now is going to get behind that campaign. Not only are we going to get people out voting in parish councils elections on, on the 6th of May, this is now an official lobby group. Ben Shepherd, if you're listening, <laughs> time to get Jackie on tipping point. Make sure he does up that top button, flashing too much chat. <laughs> God, you really do like rules. One button's okay, two at a push, but come on, Ben, you know you're pushing it. <laughs>
You've read to say that to a counsellor. <laughs> Do you shirt up, please? Uh, how said to one? Could you pull your shirt over your belly? <gasps> no! How did they take it? I don't know. You know when you're some... Just every now and then, your mouth just works on its own. Oh, yeah. Were they and offended? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jackie. I'll just... I'll cover my belly up. But it, it was like, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, like really lay back in the chair. <laughs> no. Yes, you can't sit at a council meeting as you would... You're not in your armchair on Boxing Day, letting it all hang out. You know, you, you have to have standards when you're at a, an official meeting. Boxing Day with about seven pints, I would say. <laughs> Jackie, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Bye. Cheers. <laughs> Well, that was even more enjoyable than I'd hoped. Jackie Weaver, what a star. It's just so funny that when you think about all the things that have happened in the last year, what could be more British than a local government official going viral for, for trying to keep the rules? Uh, and obviously, you'd have seen Jackie on so many things. She'd become a genuine star. And Ben Shepherd, if you're listening, and if you know someone who knows Ben Shepherd, I'm going to tweet him. I think he follows me on Twitter. So this shouldn't be too hard to sort out. But Ben, if you're listening, friends of Ben, if you're listening, we have to get Jackie Weaver onto Tipping Point. And then what a wonderful legacy for the show to have. But thank you so much for listening to this. Um, hopefully you've made your mind up on, hopefully you're registered to vote. Um, you've still got some time to make your mind up about who to vote for on the 6th of May. Um, I've got a few more episodes before then. I'm trying to pack them all in, trying to cover all different types of things and a couple of fun guests as well. Um, so I shall leave you for now. Thank you to Jackie Weaver. Thank you thank you for downloading. Leave a review, tell everyone about it, and I'll see you next time. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.